From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Four o'clock hour is here. Adam Hill alongside. Busy week for UNLV Athletics. We're going to try to get uh, Desiree Reed Francois on the phone here in just a couple minutes. She uh, runs the athletic department. She's the one who gave the nod to one Kevin Kruger to take over the program, maybe in seamless form. We'll see uh, if uh, Kevin and uh, whatever crew he comes up with as assistants can uh, hold on to a bunch of the guys and then add quickly to make next season a really successful one. Kevin Kruger, by the way, was on his first radio interview as a head coach of the Runner Rebels. He was on this morning. You can check that out. Uh, Press Box Convo. Go to lvsportsnetwork.com. So a bunch to get into with uh, DRF here. Buyout information came out. Also salary for Kevin Kruger is out. So we'll get into all of that. And maybe maybe Desiree will get all over us. Maybe she will just rip us to shreds for all our speculation last week. I don't know. I don't know if we said anything. You never know. Didn't you hear that uh, we had some special viewers of our uh, our video podcast that night that we found out that Alterberger was officially gone? I think there's a lot of people watching. Yes, there were. <laughs> a lot of interested yeah. observers. Yes. Yeah. Just in case we uh, we started taking out the flamethrowers. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Here's the deal. No. UNLV basketball is still very important to this community. I know the Golden Knights are here. The Raiders are here. But, uh, you know, it's a grassroots thing with UNLV, and the history uh, goes you know long and deep. So let's get into it here. Kevin Kruger's taking over. Desiree Reed Francois is nice enough to uh, carve some time out of her busy day. Join Steve and Adam on this uh, afternoon. What's up, Desiree? Gentlemen, it's good to hear your voices. How are you? We're good. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're, the, you're the star. So you've um, you've I had know. a yeah you've had a day or so to kind of absorb uh, the decision and also see some of the reactions. So just give me your general. Your general thoughts now, uh, you know, a day and a half later after uh, deciding that Kevin's going to be the guy. I'm fired up. Uh, in terms of transitions, it's been one of the smoothest, easiest. Just, It's just very natural. Um, you mentioned grassroots when I was coming on, and it, it, Kevin brings this. He understands our community. He is Las Vegas. He is UNLV. Um, he, uh, it was just, he, he literally moved a box. I guess, 24 feet from one office down to the other. Um, but the trend, and it was almost symbolic. The transition has just been been pretty seamless. Um, he's here. He's meeting with student athletes. He's talking with recruits. Uh, he's figuring out um, what his staff is, but he, he's hit the ground running. So I, I'm really enthusiastic. I'm really fired up about the future of UNLV basketball. Uh, you made the decision pretty quickly. Uh, was that one of the goals? How important is that? I'm excited that it was done quickly, but could you have turned this into a two- or three-week process and still would have been fine? When you know, you know, um, except for, like, you when it comes to uh, asking people to marry you. But um, that's a whole other story. I, I won't get on that. I'll get off that topic right now. Um, but I'm just kidding. But we uh, – we had been doing research and vetting candidates even before Thursday when TJ resigned. And as we were going through the process and vetting candidates and going through the interview process, Kevin just, he knocked it out of the park. He showed a, a depth of understanding and the, for the nuances of not only basketball, but just basketball in our community. And it was really impressive. 
we knew, we always talk about hiring character and competence. Um, he had the integrity and, the, and that special blend of being incredibly competitive but being very humble. Uh, he had a student athlete first mentality and yes, I like to go rather quickly if we can, um, but not so quickly as, you know, it's a, you want to, once you know, you want to pull the trigger and, um, and, and just move forward. Kevin Kruger is the head coach of the Run Rebels. That's where I read Francois runs the department. She said, yep, Kevin Kruger is the guy. Was there anything in an interview that, that came out of it? You just mentioned a bunch of the bullet points, but anything you heard from Kevin where you're like, ooh, I didn't know that about Kevin. That was actually kind of surprising, you know, in a good way. Well, and I should say the president was with us every step of the way. He participated in all of the interviews, um, and he was an excellent partner. Uh, what was something was kind of interesting when Kevin, when we were doing the the interview with the president, and we talked with um, during that that stage in the process is about an hour and a half, and Kevin started out talking. Uh, our president, President Whitfield, wrote a paper about the science and the psychology of free throw shooting. And Kevin had pulled up the paper, he'd read it, and he actually asked Dr. Whitfield a question about the paper. And it was so, it, it was really, it showed how prepared he was, it showed how much he cared, and just how thoughtful he, he is. And, uh, and I thought, man, that's just a really, really good sign. So, you know, Kevin Cougar takes over this job, it's his first head coaching job, but we know that he's been kind of preparing this for his whole life. How difficult of a job do you think he has to to build what everybody wants in this community? Uh, these are always going to be hard jobs, but Kevin's got the tools, and, and you're absolutely right. He has prepared his entire life for this role. Um, it's uh, all, all jobs, all leadership positions, all jobs are hard, um, and but he's coming in, uh, having been here for the last two years, he's seen the foundation that's being built, and... He's really, uh, he's like I said, he's hit the ground running, and and he's um, he's got a plan, and he's going to really execute that plan. And I'm excited about about what's moving forward. What would you say to people that say if his last name wasn't Kruger, he wouldn't have this job? Uh, Kevin played for us. Kevin's prepared. Kevin's last name is uh, is not what's at issue. Kevin earned this job. Uh, he was. Like I said, we had a really, uh, we had a great pool, and we had really qualified candidates um, that were very, very special. But when we went through the analysis and we kept coming back to the fact that um, Kevin's committed to, to Las Vegas, he's committed to UNLV, most importantly, he has the character and the conviction and that competitive drive. It's not that he's just telling us about it. We've seen it. We've seen it for years. Not only as an assistant coach, our community has seen his competitive drive when he led the Running Rebels to Sweet 16. Um, so it's not, it's not his last name that got him this job. It's his character and his preparation and his drive. So you had, you had just said to us a, a moment, a couple of moments ago, and I think everybody understands this, the reality of the, of the business. You're always kind of vetting candidates. You always have a list of people out there. But at what point did you think you were going to have to make a coaching decision? Uh, how long have you known that this was possible? Um, how long did I think that uh, TJ might be leaving? Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. So TJ, I mean, he met his wife, Allison, at Iowa State. And 
she's an incredibly decorated women's basketball player there. She's in their Hall of Fame. Um, that's a special place for him. So as I was watching Iowa season's, Iowa State season um, and the results, I got more and more, uh, you know, I was paying a lot, of, a lot of attention. I spoke with TJ about it several times. Uh, we had a lot of conversations in earnest, and he was very transparent. Um, and it was very clear to him that this was a heart move. Um, if that were to come his way, uh, that was going to be a hard one for him to turn turn down because of how much Iowa State meant to his family. Desiree so, Francois is with us. Were you finished? Uh, no, I, no. <laughs> Gosh, no. Um, I. Right. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. You, I, can, I told a joke can, about you not proposing to your to your <laughs> girlfriend, and it totally fell flat, and it was like total cricket. Um, <laughs> throw me for a loop. Uh, you know, you know, we're essentially married. I mean, during the pandemic, it was kind of, it was kind of swinker, uh, swink, uh, sink or swim time for relationships. So if you made it through the pandemic, you're pretty much married. You know, what I mean? whether you're married or not, it was a, it was a okay, test. Okay, thank of- you for not let, letting me fall totally flat on my face because I was feeling so crickets. Um, but <laughs> I don't know, if to- almost married, but I'm just gonna let it go. I'm just gonna let it go. So let's let's continue on this, though. Uh, Adam and I started talking about this back on February 15th about Alsterberger potentially going to Iowa State. And initially people were like, this is ridiculous. I keep talking about this. And my comeback was, I will guarantee you that Desiree Reed-Francois <laughs> is not going to be blindsided by this. But, and I said it. I said, ADs have a list. I, I, I guarantee you there's a just-in-case list. So you're prepped all the time. Uh, especially at your, you know, your highest level programs, you're always looking around for you know who the next person could be. I'm sure that's the case. Yes, you're 100% right. And it was funny. My husband and I had the same conversation uh, probably about January, February. Uh, actually, you know, you know what? It, it was right about February 16th, about my anniversary, which is February 16th. And uh, Josh and I had the same conversation. I'm like, nope, he's going to go. I know he's going to go. And Josh is like, you're crazy. He's not leaving. And I'm like, hmm, all right, just walk, mark my words. Um, and unfortunately, uh, <laughs> we know how the end result turned out. But yeah. we, it was also a really good opportunity because we were able to get really, really prepared um, and start vetting candidates before we had an opening. And so then you could do a lot of watching and a lot of analysis before you were really, really under the gun. You're very positive about this. Uh, you're an adult. I'm really not. You're, not. you're not mad. Like, I feel a little burned. Like, if I were a UNLV fan, I don't know, I'd be a little annoyed. You're, you're like, you're pretty <laughs> no, I'm just, I mean, you know, you never you're, want, well, yeah. uh, I can't argue with it. So, uh, it, you know, it's that, that's where his heart lies. And yeah. so I, I appreciate it. And, and, uh, you know, we, we did have a nice buyout that was able to ease some of our heartache. So, you know, there's that too. And uh, you have a really, I'm just excited about Kevin. Kevin yeah, yeah. is, so I appreciate what TJ did while he was here. I wish him um, the absolute best in his new team with an Iowa State and Ames, Iowa. Um, and maybe in December it's going to – well, anyway, I'll, just, I'll let that go. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's all about Kevin now. And I'm really excited about Kevin Kruger and all that he brings. Uh, you made a great hire on the women's basketball side. I wanted you to mention that. And, you know, pe- people rarely ask this question, like, what can you take from the early success with the women's basketball program and go, you know what? That's what I want for the men's basketball program. You know, Lindy, very similar to Kevin. She's smart. She's driven. She's from Las Vegas. 
She cares about student athletes. She's putting together this incredible culture, and the results will come. If you have strong culture, the results come. That's the similarity with Kevin and with Lindy, and they both are passionate about about UNLV and this community. Um, I actually spoke a lot with Lindy throughout this process, and she was uh, she gave me wonderful insight. And the one thing I really appreciate about UNLV's coaching staff is they all are in it together. Um, they're very supportive, whether it's helping one another recruit within NCAA rules, whether it's talking about different situations that they've come across. We have a lot of coaches that this is their first time being a head coach, and that supportive atmosphere, that collaboration, really, uh, and all of, all of them taking this mentality that all of us in it together um, it, it really bears out. So our coaches help recruit other coaches, and they provide wonderful insight. You said you had a pretty deep pool of candidates for the men's job. How yeah. many others did you speak to? How many did you actually consider for the job? Initially, we gave a list of 10 over, um, and then we added a couple, an additional, I think it was uh, between like four and seven um, throughout the process. And then and that some of those were recommendations from different people. And then, uh, and then those were vetted. Coach Fogler vetted them. We had other folks vetting them. And then we had interviews beginning, I think, about 10.30 on Thursday. TJ resigned about 6.30 in the morning. We told the team at 9. And then I had a couple of student-athlete conversations after that. And then we started interviewing at uh, about 10.30. Wow. Um, and then... Interviewed all day Thursday until about uh, till about ten that night, and then did um, addition, and then interviews with our president. We narrowed it down from a group of ten to about six. Interview and of that six, there were um, three minority coaches. This was a really diverse pool. Uh, we had three minority coaches, three Caucasian coaches, and then we narrowed it down again. Um, had additional interviews. And then uh, we made the call on Sunday at, I think, about about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock-ish. All right. Um, Kevin's getting bumped up from the assistance chair. I, I thought the comments from some of the boosters were interesting in the RJ. And, you know, you're very tight with Bill Paulus, and he's donated so much money and so much support to the program. I saw that he said, it can't be we're just going to go hire some assistant coach from someplace and bring him in um, or some – up-and-comer like TJ. I mean, I guess technically Kevin isn't from some other place. But like, with, with a Bill Paulus or any booster that's got some influence, what do you what do you tell him? Like, how would you sell him on Kevin Kruger when maybe they were looking for a gigantic name in that seat? I really appreciate everybody's um, passion and everybody's support, genuinely. There are a lot of folks that care passionately about, about UNLV, Run Rebel Basketball specifically. And, man, we've got to all do it together. This is a special place, this is a special program, and this is a special moment in time. And so I, um, I definitely hear and I listen and I, and I appreciate it, but I also know something special about, about UNLV and when Thomas and Mac is full and when we're all pulling together, we can do some really special things. So that's what I'm looking forward to with Run and Rebel Basketball. What about the, uh, the big name coach part of that? How do you talk people off the ledge where they're like, we want a name? Oh, I appreciate that, and you know, and I all, and I understand everybody, and I want people to be passionate. I think it's fantastic. Um, I like people's opinions, and there's a lot of really smart people in our community, and they're all very appreciated. And um, what I also have learned is that 
there's, the, there's always going to be opinions and there's always going to be thoughts. And listen with grace. And, and then let's all, once we, once we all get a chance to come together, it gets really special when we're all pulling in and cheering for the Runner Rebels at the same time. What what are those days like when you guys are looking for a coach? I'll tell you, like from my perspective, I'm I'm just covering the team. I've been around the you know program for a long time. Uh, been doing radio and and writing about it. My phone was ringing off the hook with coaches, agents, everybody that wanted this job. So I can't imagine what it's like for you to get those calls. Um, it, there are a lot of demands on your time, and you try your best to field um, as many calls, but. Yeah, you're doing like 50 hours of interviewing and vetting, right? And so you try, and, and sometimes you miss, like you miss on, on calls, and, um, but you try and manage your energy and really focus on the most important part, which is finding the coach that's going to represent our university, that's going to take care of those young men um, and do things the right way. So you try and really just laser focus in, and, and I, what I've spent – today and some of yesterday doing too is I know I've missed a bunch of calls and I'm calling people that I that I inadvertently haven't returned haven't seen texts or I think I had like 600 texts and um, so I'm trying to go back and, and answer those and, and make sure that I'm um, that I didn't inadvertently miss someone so like the whole first 10 minutes of our show today was about people leaving texts on red and what that means and like in a dynamic of a relationship you are saying that a lot of your texts are left on red right now. Um, well, I'm, I'm working through it. I'm almost there, uh, and I and it's and I don't and you want to respond to everybody and you want to be uh, not miss anyone, uh, but I unintentionally have missed some people, um, and so during the search because you know when you're in those conversations with coaches you got to be all in and you can't you don't you can't read your your phone now I think I. I had before we, I made sure everything that was search related has been answered. But there, I know that there's some, um, <laughs> there's probably some from my brother that I haven't read yet. Don't tell him. Uh, last couple of minutes, and we really appreciate all the time today. Desiree Reed Francois is with us on Cofield and Company. We're talking about the hire of one Kevin Kruger. Running Rebels are big in this town, and uh, you know this one has to be right, and the, the program's got to start going in the right direction. Who uh, in that you know short period of time where there's a, some limbo? Um, who was talking to the players, and uh, do you think there's a good chance for Kevin and whatever the staff is to retain a bunch of the players? Because we certainly don't want to be in a situation around UNLV basketball where you've got, you know, three guys who stay around, everyone else hits the transfer portal, and then you got to build a whole new team. Right. Kevin and uh, Deshaun uh, were doing a great – and Megan and Andy Grossman, they were all doing a great job of making sure – our student-athletes were on spring break – um, during this time, but they were all making sure that they ha were having continuous conversations. Um, our student athletes had my cell numbers, uh, cell number, and so they, those were called. And I had spoken with several of them during that search process as well. Um, but you're right, making sure, that's why you asked about the speed of, to do searches. Quite frankly, that's the highest priority is our student athletes, right? They just went through a transition, and you they. We owe it to them to do this as quickly and as efficiently as is possible. So that's why we got we try to get as prepared as we could before in case it really did happen with TJ leaving, so that we could hit the ground running. And I, I think we were able to do that. 
I, d- I did want to uh, clarify one thing. There was there was a comment made from the Iowa State side uh, at the press conference that uh, oh, TJ yeah. was offered an extension uh, by you before he left. You said that you were prepared for this to happen. You kind of were ready for this conversation. What Did that happen? Was there an attempt to offer an extension to keep him around, or was that just something that was said? Yes, we did. We talked about an extension and what that would look like. But in the end, like I said, it wasn't about years or dollars. Um, here at UNLV, it was a heart move. Uh, and, Allison and his family, this was the right thing for them to move back to Ames. That's where they met. That's where they fell in love. That's where they started their family. And that was a dream job for him, just like coaching the Running Rebels is a dream job for Kevin. Yeah, and how, how much did Kevin's you know love of this program and this being potentially a dream job with the way that UNLV fans have been burned in the last couple of you know coaches with Chris Beard and, and now – uh, with with T.J. Otzenberg having a dream job back home. Like, Kevin Kruger seems like this is his dream job, so how relevant was that for you wanting to bring him in? Well, we wanted a coach with, with high integrity that cared about our student-athletes, um, but that commitment piece, you're right on. Man, we really wanted someone who was committed to UNLV, that this wasn't just a good basketball job that was open. This was the job that they wanted, and with Kevin with the level of preparation and how I have seen him over the past two years um, and how he treats our students, his approach, his methodical approach to the game. Um, I've sat in on his scouting, on his scouts. I've sat in, I've seen him coach our, our students. And so I, I knew his level of preparation. I knew how much he cared about our student athletes. And, and his commitment, it was, like I said, it wasn't just a job, it was the job. So that his commitment level definitely played in. Desiree, we appreciate it all the time. Um, I hope you get to all those texts. I assume you know, like maybe three hundred in, there might be one from some guy okay. named Rick. Not no, many. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they're just ones, that, you know, the deal. Um, I, I, as I, I'm sure that your guys' phone was blowing up too. <laughs> not quite the same. Not, not quite the same level of responsibility. I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that, but I really appreciate you guys taking the time and, and caring about the running rebels. Thank you. We appreciate it. See ya. Bye. There you go. Desiree Reed Francois off to maybe go vet assistant coaches because that's the next process and then keep as many of the folks in the fold who are on the team. So very interesting period of time, Adam. Uh, it is. And I feel bad that I muted my microphone early on so that you guys could hear each other better. Uh, because I was laughing at her joke, so I feel bad that she thinks that it oh. did not. It's anyway, not. you know, it, it, it's a good joke. It's a good joke. She's been busting my horns about uh, not getting married. I, 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 I guess I should have laughed. I should have chuckled. So I followed it up, though. Give her a little follow up. It's not like it, it's not like she, you know, she lost confidence. Well, she, I mean, she did seem a little bit hurt that we didn't give it more, which is fair. I laughed. I just, I was trying to make it so you guys could hear each other better. So I was like, I'll step away. And she missed my laugh. That's how I feel about it. Ari, always, always have the uh, that that uh, gorilla's laugh track. Do you have that handy? Always <laughs> <laughs> have that ready to go. No, no, not that one. Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. We'll have some follow-up on the uh, Desiree Reed-Francois interview that we uh, just did here on Cofield and Company. That'll be up in the 5 o'clock hour. Sammy P., our betting insiders, along the way in about 15 minutes. But right now, we uh, check in 
with Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. Miles, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Good. I don't mean to sandbag you right off the, right out of the gates, but uh, I I can't make any sense of what the hell is going on right now with Deshaun Watson with all these cases. We're talking 15 plus cases, and then the hammer came in today. Rusty Harden, his attorney, and, and said uh, basically the charges were completely false. So where are we right now, and what a position the NFL is in? Yeah, it, it, I think the best way to put it right now is it's uncomfortable for everybody involved. And I think it, it's one of these things where we have to let the process play out in order to see. Because, look, I think the, the thing that I at least appreciated about that statement was it started with, you know, as Rusty Harden and uh, Deshaun Watson, we understand that sexual assault is something that is extremely serious and needs to be taken seriously. And I think that that's where we all have to start, you know, as people who get paid essentially to talk about these kinds of things. Because when you're talking about something that is sexual assault and some of these things that Deshaun Watson is accused of doing that you can read about in these cases, it's disgusting. And if he's done it, then that's not just something that I feel like he should be, you know, civilly liable for, but also criminally. So you have to start there. But you also have to say, all right, well, these, these claims have to also be investigated because if he didn't do them and if this, uh, this claim of blackmail is true by one of these uh, accusers, then you also have to say, well, that's not something that you want to put on somebody's reputation. It's just I think that this is a situation that requires patience and nuance and you know, in the business that we're in, that's not often something that, you know, can happen. And there's reasons for that. But I, I just, I think that in this particular situation, it's just like, all right, we, we have to let this process play out and see what the investigations turn up. Because otherwise, I, I, I just, it, it, I think you're right. It's just very hard to make heads or tails of what this situation is before the entire process plays out. Miles, I mean, you make a lot of perfect points about exactly where, you know, where this should go. And like, we should investigate the claims and we should take all allegations seriously and give them the weight that they deserve as a very, very serious topic. And that's completely accurate and completely true, both to be fair to both the accusers and to Deshaun Watson. Like, you have to be fair to both sides. Let everything, you know, play out before we make any determinations on anything. But there also is a reality of the world where like a bunch of teams are in a trade market for Deshaun Watson and the Texans are sitting back and saying like, okay, I don't know what we do now. And obviously the trade value is depressed because of, you know, the allegations that could be going on. So the Texans might have less motivation uh, to trade him because they can't get as much for him. Like this really like throws off not to be, you know, blunt about it, but like there is a football angle to this. And like, we, like a lot of teams are on hold waiting for what happens here. Absolutely. And and that's, the that's the consequence of what has now come up besides you know obviously if again if Deshaun, what Deshaun Watson did if Deshaun Watson did what he is being accused of then those consequences for those women are much more important than the consequences for Deshaun Watson's trade market but I think you know as the football angle of the story yes that is exactly what it is you now don't know what teams would be willing to give up in order to acquire Deshaun Watson. And if you're the Texans, sure, you've been staunch in the stance that you don't want to trade him. But 
you have to think that at some point, some conversations were being had behind closed doors of, okay, if an offer comes that is this, you know, whether it's three ones, four ones, you know, you get a quarterback um, in return that you maybe can put behind center and you feel good about. Those discussions at this point are really moot because it's like, well, you can't think that anybody is going to offer you full value before this process plays out. So it's almost now you need to see when the timeline of this process will play out before anything I think would be able to get done in terms of that trade market. Because at this point, you just there are far too many unknowns um, to acquire a quarterback right now who you know can play at an elite level, but also if these are the things that are happening, you're probably not going to want to trade for that guy. Well, uh, we have so much, so many other things to talk about, but I was just thinking about it. About a month ago, we were discussing like three firsts, Carr and Josh Jacobs. Would you do that for Deshaun Watson? I'll say right now, <laughs> would you, if you're the Raiders, would you do a first and Carr for Deshaun Watson today? Oh, Adam, I don't know, man. <laughs> because you don't, uh, I don't know. I don't think you could. I, I don't know. I, because you're it's still tough. such a holding pattern. I don't. Uh, you got to let the process play out. You gotta, I'm, I'm punting this question. You got to let the process play out first. All right, we'll let, we'll let that happen. Uh, the Packers, <laughs> uh, so, sometimes you have to take you have to take a look at like things that happen or don't happen, and they could have greater meaning. The Packers did not restructure Aaron Rodgers' deal. Everybody is reading into this. That means there's less dead money going forward. If they were to get rid of him after the season, that means he is going to be a lame duck quarterback this year. It's his last season in Green Bay. Is it that simple? I think it could be. Look, it's pretty clear. It was pretty clear, I thought, after the season um, when Rodgers was talking about, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. The future's a beautiful mystery and all that. And, look, the Packers drafted Jordan Love. Not only did they draft him, they traded up to draft him. And he didn't get any playing time. He barely got any practice time. So, obviously, that's something that they want to see him do And Jordan Love. You want to get him those reps, whether it's in just the offseason program, training camp. You know, maybe you get in him in those three preseason games, um, assuming that they're going to go to the 17-game schedule, which I feel like we can all assume. So, look, I think that if that's the case, I don't know why exactly the Packers want to push Aaron Rodgers out the door when he obviously is still playing at an MVP level. Maybe they know something that we don't. I don't know. But but I just I feel like if that's the way they're going to do it, and especially in a year where your salary cap is depressed and everybody basically is restructuring deals, especially with the quarterback, you look at what Atlanta just had to do with Matt Ryan, even though that's a guy that you probably should want to move on from after this year, just based on his age and the way things are going there in Atlanta. Uh, I don't know that the Packers are in that same situation. And especially because look, Rogers, like I said, he's playing at such a high level. So it could be that simple. Adam is, you know, they're trying to set themselves up to move on from Aaron Rodgers, But, you know, I just, I just don't think that that's the approach that they should be taking. Although, at the same time, you don't want to deal with dead money as much. You want to deal with the least amount of dead money as possible. So it's sort of that give and take. And I guess, you know, you could say, like, oh, they're setting up to get rid of Rodgers down the road, but they're also protecting themselves in their cap situation. And I can't really blame them for doing that. Miles Simmons, pro football talk and friend of the show. 
officially. I think we can make that characterization. Oh, wow, uh, thank you. It's so I nice. Know, just, I don't have that many friends. I was just rambling. <laughs> I didn't even mean that. Uh, do we like... <laughs> Do we like what the Giants are doing? Uh, it seemed like when you don't sign anybody right away, you don't make a big splash, you're probably trying to sit back and find values. They went and they waited. They they waited to, to the second wave, and then they paid a lot of money uh, for Dory Jackson and Kenny Galladay. Um, do I like what the Giants are doing? Kind of. I, mean, I see what they're doing. I think what they're doing makes sense. But Kenny Galladay, I think, is a really good receiver. If he's healthy, he should definitely help Daniel Jones um, in that offense. And I, I think that pairing him with guys like Shepard and you know you got Ingram up there too, they they should be better. Especially when you consider what Saquon Barkley can do. Um, and obviously, he's coming back off that knee injury. But that offense should be better, um, provided that Jason Garrett gives them the scheme to get a lot better um, the second year that he's there. So, yeah, but Dory Jackson, I don't know. I, I, what's interesting about Dory Jackson is he, he's got to stay healthy in order to really be that top guy as a corner. I, I think that there certainly is value there for him going there, and that's the kind of free agent I think that is ideal for a team. It's somebody who is not necessarily the biggest splash, but there is a lot of upside. So, it could work out very well, but I don't know. I just I don't have that much belief in the Giants, and I guess it's because they went six and ten, and normally that would have been like, oh, they're not very good. But then they beat the Seahawks, right? And you know they were very close to being able to win the NFC East, even though they were six and ten. So I just I, I think part of it is just that I don't really believe that much in Daniel Jones, and if I don't really believe in the quarterback, then what all everything else is kind of like, eh. So. Yeah, I don't know if that's a satisfying answer. No, that's per- perfectly valid. Uh, do you believe Corey Davis? He said two different things. One of them I saw you write about uh, that he believes he is a number one receiver. He considers himself a number one receiver. And the other thing he said was that he came to the Jets with the understanding that Sam Darnold is the quarterback going forward. Do we believe him on either of those things? Uh I think if the Jets are smart, then they shouldn't be telling their free agents, you know, exactly what their plans are, right? I think that it doesn't benefit anybody to reveal to somebody like Corey Davis, hey, man, we're going to select Zach Wilson at number two overall, and we're going to try to trade Sam Darnold somewhere else. What good does that do if you tell him that? Because then you're basically just blowing up your market if it just so happens that Corey Davis runs his mouth sometimes. And uh, players do that. That's okay. It's not their job to, I think at least, secure the draft plans for the people who are, you know, higher up in the front office. So the, at the, it's the floor two problems, as a lot of teams like to call it. So I, I just, I think that that one, you know, at this point, Sam Darnold is the starting quarterback. That's what the depth start would look like. So that's, I don't, I don't read too much into that. Now, on him being a number one wide receiver, Look, this is a guy that was drafted at five overall, right? And I don't think that to this point he's performed like somebody who was drafted at five overall. Now, he had a really good season in 2020. He was just short of uh, 1,000 yards receiving, which is kind of the funny thing. So in that, you know, the quote you're talking about that I wrote about today, he was saying, you know, I I know that I am a 1,000-yard receiver and you can look at the stats and, you know, women lie, men lie, stats don't, right? Like, th- this is something that he's never done before. He's never gotten to 1,000 yards. Now, he was very close this year. If he had played all 16 games, would he have done it? Yes, 
probably because he was 16 yards off from doing it. So he certainly has that potential. But do I personally see him as the number one wide receiver? Not really, because if you look at it, there was a time when he was the top guy, and that was 2018. But then they drafted A.J. Brown in Tennessee. And look, what did A.J. Brown do? He became their top guy. He's their number one wide receiver. So when you weren't the one on your own team and you were drafted in the first round, the other guy was drafted in the second round, that kind of makes me feel like you've got something to prove if you know you really want to be that number one guy. And frankly, I don't think number one wide receivers really hit free agency all that often because every team needs a one at wideout. And if you're that guy, then you wouldn't have hit the market in the first place. Miles, we appreciate it. Thanks for being flexible today. We'll catch up with you next week and make sure everyone in the audience uh, go up to Pro Football Talk and you can check out uh, the story by Miles about A.J. Green, more wide receiver talk. Thank you, Miles. Of course, guys. Talk to you soon. There he is, Pro Football Talk. He always sounds disappointed like we go too quickly. We'll, we'll carve out some more time for Miles uh, next week. Now, he's one of our favorite guests of the week. Coming up, another one of our favorites. Everyone's our favorite. Uh, Sammy P., Sam Paniotovich, gambling expert working at Nesson and FS1. Got to get his take on a what a lot of people are calling a crazy, wild betting weekend in the NCAA tournament that apparently turned out to be just a freaking complete bomb for the betters. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. All right, let's do it. We go out to, I think, I think New England. Sam, where are you right now? Good guess. Uh, you had a 50-50 shot. It was either Vegas or Boston. But if you ask me this question <laughs> this coming weekend, the answer will be Las Vegas, buddy. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Sweet 16 with Sammy P. Hopefully you come yeah. out this time. I know. I've been uh, completely lame recently. Well, you know, the uh, I, I told you the SO had a little spill, so she's got the snapped ankles. So, you know, I kind of feel bad going out and, and, and uh, having a good time with the boys, but maybe this weekend. Um, let, let's talk about bets versus the brackets, because I actually I did okay this weekend. Uh, Brackets-wise, I did not, but I did okay betting. So I want you to talk about this whole approach. Well, I threw my bracket out the window or lit it on fire after two days because I don't, you know, I don't give a damn about my bracket. And I had this conversation at work with a couple of people today because, you know, I had Illinois winning my bracket. But when it came to Saturday and I saw the line and the reaction to the line for Illinois Loyola, I said, I, I don't give a damn. I'm taking Loyola getting seven points. And, you know, it, it, it's just there's a difference for me because my job isn't to fill out a bracket. It's to find people – money or good bets for that matter and when i saw that seven on loyola and saw the like the constant messages in my mentions and tweets and texts like illinois is a lock tomorrow i'm talking like eight nine ten people in a row within the posting of that line i thought to myself no it's not <laughs> you know so I, I had no issue going against my bracket because my bracket's never that good anyways after the first weekend of the sweet 16 my bracket's always cooked anyway so if I get a good number on a team, whether it's on my bracket or against my bracket, I'm going to pick it, and that's the bottom line. Uh, I don't want to come off like a horse's ass here and say something like, uh, no one saw this coming with the Big Ten, because I guarantee you there were people out there who bet against the Big Ten and probably made out. What happened? Like, I, you know, Again, like, did you see any of this coming? Why did the Big Ten flop so badly 
not only you know failing to cover games at times, but just losing outright. I wish I had an answer for you. I really do. I could, you know, sit here and tell you that I saw it coming, but that would be a, a bold-faced lie. I had Illinois and Ohio State both in the Final Four. And there was actually a prop floating around in some of the American books. How many Big Ten teams in the Final Four? Like, that was a prop bet. It was over under one and a half. And they'll be lucky now if they get one with Michigan, the only team still alive. Michigan will be uh, taking on Florida State. But I think sometimes the Big Ten – we put blinders on. I say we because I'm from there and I went to Illinois down in Champaign. I think, you know, we always try and put ourselves on a pedestal and, you know, we fail to realize that the last team that won a national championship from the Big Ten was 2000. You got to go back to the Flintstones with Tom Izzo. That's Mateen Cleaves and Mo Pete. And I think Jason Richardson was on that squad. So they had a couple guys that went to the NBA. That's the last time a Big Ten team won a title, but we just keep trying to brainwash ourselves to think, oh, the Big Ten's really that good. No, maybe these teams just all are sort of, you know, good, not great, but they all beat up on each other. And I think that's a trap I I fall into time and time again. I always have a Big Ten team in my Final Four. This year I had two. They might get none. (laughs) Do Do you see any team besides Illinois, or excuse me, besides Gonzaga or Baylor uh, that you would be willing to bet to win the tournament right now? I mean, this is such a, it's such a good question, but it's such a, it's such a question about value. You know, because back in November and December, we're talking about Gonzaga's 8-1 to and Baylor's 9-1. to So, like, those were the times to bet on those teams. I mean, you know, if I had 100 bucks and you said, who should I put it on right now, I, I still wouldn't take Gonzaga or Baylor. I mean, Gonzaga's plus 150 now. Baylor's, like, 350, 4-1. I still think Alabama's dangerous, Adam. I, I do. And if, if you shop around, you can get a good number on Bama. You can get, like, 10 or 12 to 1. Now, granted, it was 30 to 1 before the tournament, but... I just, I think they're very good, Gonzaga and Baylor. I don't think they're great. I wouldn't be stunned if either of them lost. I mean, Gonzaga hasn't been tested yet. They, I forget who they played in the first game, Norfolk State, and then Oklahoma, who, you know, they don't play defense in basketball or football. So I, I sort of take that with a grain of salt. And they won't even get tested against Creighton. But there could be a team that could knock Zaga off in the Final Four. And I just, I don't think this is the time to bet Gonzaga or Baylor. You, you had opportunities months ago, and you're not going to maximize your money at this point. Did you feel bad for Steve watching Rutgers? I felt awful. Yes. How do you? Didn't they lead by nine with what was it like four minutes to go or something like that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this was the team, buddy. Remember we talked about this in November, December. I said this yep. is a team that has such good guard play. I think they have the talent to go to the Sweet Sixteen. They had every opportunity in the world to step on a the throat. They just couldn't do it, and I. I don't know why teams do this when they inbound the basketball, when they face pressure. Why do they run to the corner? <laughs> you're, yep. you're trapped by a baseline, a sideline, and a defender, and teams constantly run to the corner with the ball. Yeah, And, you know, the other thing is they, they really they had uh, used it on the ropes badly. It was not only nine with, like, four minutes left. It was 58-49, and then they got closed out, whatever it was, like 14-2. to It was back at, like, the six-minute mark. Houston's just taking stupid bombs, back rimming, front rimming threes. And Rutgers comes across midcourt, and you can see they're like they're looking to drain the clock. There's six minutes left, and I think that mentality of just trying to survive instead of attack, 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 and finish off the game, it, it just it, it got them in the end of it. You, so sound, was, you still sound was, disoriented. I, no, I dude, apologize, dude. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's it was it was awful, man. It was awful, and you know the worst part of it is uh, I'm not a Syracuse fan. In fact, I hate Syracuse. 
the pukes around the country went to Syracuse to do sports radio. Annoy the hell out of me. Now they get another week to talk about their stupid orange. But you know what? That said, I can't be emotional, Sam. We've got to be smart here and look at ways to win money in the Sweet 16. It's early, but on a Tuesday night, I can tell you that I I do like two teams. Number one is Oregon State. You take Loyola from that coveted underdog grindy role to now you take them from a seven-point dog and you make them a seven-point favorite. I want no part of it. Let's not also ignore the fact that Oregon State just won the Pac-12. <laughs> like, who's hotter than the Pac-12 right now? It's just a different mentality when you're a seven-point dog than when you are a seven-point favorite. Now Loyola's got to win by eight to win that bet, and I just I don't like it. It's a low total, 125.5. That could be last, last I have the ball is going to win. So I like Oregon State there. And I'm not trying to play into the Syracuse hype, but, I mean, I was on them round one and round two. I took the points in both matchups. But it wasn't because of the 2-3 zone. That's such a lazy narrative. It's tough to prepare for the zone. Like, yeah, it is, but Syracuse is top 20 in offensive efficiency this year. They've got two guys that can flat-out fling it from three. Buddy Beheim and Gary are like, they've got guys that could shoot, man. And the zone, look, the zone isn't easy, but they're better on offense than they are on defense. And Jim Beheim has done this before. He's taken an 11 seed to the Sweet 16. He's taken an 11 seed to the Final Four. They know how to win. So those are both Saturday games. It's early, but I like the pups again. I don't like a lot of puppies in the next weekend, but I do like Oregon State, and I do like Syracuse. Adam, is there a dog you like? We got Syracuse, you got Sam taking Syracuse plus six against Houston. You got Oregon State there, six and a half against Loyola. Uh, are you looking at Oregon plus two and a half? Uh, UCLA is a dog. Um, are you confident? That number seems small to me. Am I crazy? Michigan minus three? Uh, no, I don't think it's. I don't think it's too small because I'm. Okay. I still think without livers, they're they're uh, they're vulnerable and susceptible to a good team. I think they played a really good offensive game against LSU, who doesn't play any defense, and they got fortunate that they didn't really have to play, um, you know, too, too well on the offensive end to go against that defense. Um, sadly for Sam, uh, I really like Oregon State this week, so we're going to be on the same same side. Of that one, uh, that'll be one of my two. Uh, uh, one, of, one of my three last man standing picks on Saturday. Uh, so hopefully uh, that continues through, and uh, I probably will be taking Syracuse as well. Uh, I think this matchup is pretty good for them as well. I don't love Houston, and I don't. I certainly don't love them laying a big number in this spot. So I'll be on that side too. Sam, really important here. Um, yeah, I, I saw one story about the the betters did not do well. I saw a rep from uh, BetMGM who was like, "Wow, we we really killed it this weekend." There are sports books that are legit, and then there's some others coming onto the scene. What is going on? Is there actually some books out there that are doing 125 on both sides? Oh yeah, I'm tearing down the state of Montana by myself today. There's this. Um, <laughs> there's this. Some, I don't know how this happened, but like the lottery runs the sports books in Montana. So there's no FanDuel, DraftKings, Circa, Westgate. Like there's none of that. It's just the lottery that runs it. In college basketball, they're offering minus 125 each way to take the points, or they get a little creative and they go to minus 135 with a comeback of minus 115. That is like, that is, it's not borderline, it's robbery. Like they are just, They are making it so hard for the customer to win. And this is the worst part. Some of these hockey splits on the money line. Here's a split right here. I tweeted this out at SP Shoot. Look at some of these splits at Sportsbet Montana. 
the Montreal Canadiens against the Vancouver Canucks. Minus 233 on the favorite and plus 120 on the dog. Oh, my gets God. Over, gets over a dollar. And on the total, the same game, you got the total. If you want over five and a half, minus 167. If you want the under, minus wow. 128. How do they, how do wow. you do that? Like, people don't even understand how bananas that is. And I texted a couple of sports guys in Vegas to take bets, and they're like, I wish we could do this. Yeah, but here's the thing from a business standpoint if no one else can come in and compete, is Montana, I mean, ethically, are they doing the wrong thing? I suppose, but from a business standpoint, like, unless the players protest in some fashion and don't play, and it's like, you know, there's just no money being bet, isn't it the smart thing to do? I don't know that it's the smart thing to do. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know how long you can milk the golden goose, man. Like, eventually, they're going to have to figure that out because there will be more options, or people will keep playing with their bookies. I would. Sam's a part of Nesson. He's also with uh, FS1. And uh, how's the Chicken Dinner podcast going? It's going great, man. Like I said, I just tore down uh, Montana Sports Bet or whatever today, and uh, I'm going to break down some six, uh, Sweet 16 games on Thursday. I can't wait, man. My favorite time of the year. Did you crush Kansas? No, I had Kansas yesterday. <laughs> you crushed yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It happens, buddy. It happens to the best well, of us. Nine and four yeah. since last Thursday. How about that for a touty line? That is good, but when I talked about Kansas, you got all broken up like I did with Rutgers. It, it hurts, man. It hurts. It does. Well, we didn't do shots for the Rutgers game. That's why they lost. <sighs> next year, next year when they're uh, when they're making a strong run of fifteen and seventeen, and have and don't don't get a whiff of the NCAA tournament. I hope that doesn't happen. I love Rutgers to win the NIT next year. Lock it in. Well, hopefully, everyone comes back because they're so depressed that they didn't come through. But we'll see with the seniors. Sam, good job, buddy. We'll talk to you. Always a pleasure, boys. There he is, Sam Penniotovich. you got to get up to chicken dinner at Chicken X Dinner. Uh, going back to the football season, he's got his guy, the bartender, who is just the ultimate mush. He stinks. Uh, the guy is now 11-23 and 23, uh, back to the NFL, and he's 1-3 so far in college basketball. Anytime there's a bartender alert, get your money down on the other side. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.